When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today on the Everything 80s podcast, it's Inspector Gadget. guys what's happening welcome back to the everything 80s podcast i'm jamie obviously now we're looking at the story and everything to do with inspector gadget one of the probably most beloved cartoons of the 1980s so this will tell you the development of the show how it came together the impact the future all that great stuff uh okay but before we start if you haven't already make sure you subscribe to the podcast wherever you find your podcast i should be there okay let's get right to it So I like to sort of rename this episode, was Inspector Gadget a dumbed-down RoboCop? And like I said, one of the biggest shows of the 80s, everyone watched Inspector Gadget at some point, that unmistakable theme song, um, one of the the go-to choices. So Inspector Gadget came out in 1983. You might not remember it going back that far. and was produced by Dick Entertainment. It follows the story of a dim-witted cyborg police inspector as he investigates Dr. Claw and his crime organization, MAD. It would lead to a bunch of different spinoffs, a movie, all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, I'd forgotten it came out that early in the 80s. I always thought of it being, like, later in the decade for some reason, like, 87, 88. I don't know, but it's, you know, it's one of those very serviceable cartoons, if you will. Not the greatest of all time, but build its role pretty well. It is the kind of thing you would, it would fit best between watching two other shows. You know what I mean? Like you weren't going to do anything else. It bridged the gap well and made for some pretty easy watching. So it went from 83 to 86 and lasted in syndication until the late nineties. So let's have a look deeper here. So the production company, like I said, um, Dick productions was actually a French company and it didn't have an American base until 1982. The American arm of it was founded by Andy Hayward, who was a former story writer for Hanna-Barbera. Inspector Gadget would be one of the first productions for the American-based side of the Dick Production Company. So Hayward had developed the idea of, a, of Inspector Gadget based on a show from when he had been working at Hanna-Barbera. This is a big throwback, uh, depending how old you are or how much you know of your TV cartoon nostalgia is a show called Dynamite Dog Wonder from 1976, and it was part of the old Scooby Doo Dynamite Hour. I don't remember. I wasn't even born then. Um, I vaguely remember references to Dynamite. Everyone knows Scooby Doo, but bare like not enough that I knew anything about this. So Dynamite was the sidekick of the Blue Falcon, and 
Dynamite would always be outfitted with a variety of different contraptions. So the blue, the blue Falcon himself was written as kind of not the sharpest tool in the shed. So Hayward combined the dim, like this dim wittedness and the contraptions from Dynamite all put together as the basis for Inspector Gadget. So obviously it's also hard to ignore the influence of Maxwell Smart from Get Smart as this had definitely inspired Inspector Gadget. So this bumbling detective always plays well, and there was no reason that it wouldn't in cartoon form. So, in fact, Don Adams, who played Maxwell, Maxwell Smart, would voice Inspector Gadget, and one of the Get Smart writers, Jack Hanrahan, Hanrahan, would become a writer on Inspector Gadget. So, you know, there's a full-on influence there. So this is looking now at developing the whole show. The pilot of Inspector Gadget had to go through a few different changes before it got on the air. The pilot episode, you can find this on YouTube too, was first going to be called Gadget in Winterland, but they changed it to Inspector Gadget Winter Olympics. It's kind of weird to look back on the old cartoon. I'll get to it in a sec. The first thing actually, Inspector Gadget would go through 350 different sketches and variations until they landed on the final design. The other issue was, again, if you watch the old um, cartoon from YouTube, the original Inspector Gadget had a mustache. The problem is it probably looked a little too familiar uh, having an inspector with a mustache, and that would actually be an issue because MGM would contact Hayward and Dick Entertainment to say, hold up on the mustache. He looked way too much like their Inspector Clouseau, so they had to take the mustache off. It was probably a good idea, though, because keeping the mustache... I think like they always would have associated Inspector Gadget with Inspector Clouseau. And again, they probably would have had been sued to Kingdom Come as well. So there was also the voice issue. Gadget would end up going through two other voices before they ended up with Don Adams. They started with a famous actor, voice actor called Gary Owens. And he had been, um, he provided a voice on the Dynamut show. So they were familiar with him. He wouldn't last though. And in the pilot, they also used the voice of Jesse White, who was the original Maytag repairman, to do the voice of Inspector Gadget. So a few different choices. Ultimately, Adams would be the final choice. So the show has a whole different feel to it with Inspector Gadget in a mustache and a different voice. It, it's it doesn't even it's real. It's not even the same thing, honestly. If you just look up the original pilot on YouTube, and you'll see the whole thing. So let's look at the characters of Inspector Gadget. So obviously, to start with him, he is technically a cyborg in that he's half man and half machine and has a th- uh, um, thousands of high-tech devices and instruments on his body. He's not the brightest, but is still very dedicated to the law. So he has, again, like that look of Inspector Clouseau from Pink Panther, and but more, more dim-witted, more gullible. Um, more naive kind of thing. And despite all the assistance he gets, he is the one that ends up saving the day, most often not even realizing how he did it. Okay, next main character, Dr. Claw. The main antagonist of the show, Dr. Claw is the leader of an evil crime syndicate called MAD. And there's actually never a clear definition on what MAD stood for during the series. But there's different ideas that it could stand for mean and dirty, uh, possibly malevolent agent of destruction, and last but not least, men against dogs. These are actually like considered. I, I would, 
I feel the malevolent, malevolent agent of destruction works probably pretty well. We only ever see the arms of Dr. Claw, and he's always holding a cat, which is very James Bond ripoff-ish, but, you know, what are you going to do? So, you know, the whole point, Dr. Claw is evil. He wants nothing more than to destroy Inspector Gadget. He was originally voiced by a fellow Canadian named Dan, Dan Franks, and he would do voices on the Star Wars spinoff cartoon Ewoks and Droids. And this is the ultimate throwback. He did the voice of Boba Fett in the iconic and hated Star Wars holiday special. I hope you've seen it. Um, if if you or if you're listening to a sort of pop culture '80s based show, you're probably familiar with the Star Wars holiday special, which is a whole podcast on its own even though it came out in the 70s but the one thing that stands out from that horrific this is considered one of if you haven't seen it this is considered one of the worst things ever ever put on television and it it is as bad as you think it's unbearable i it's you watch it enough that it, it sort of has this kind of ironic charm to it but it is it is terrible and the only thing that really stood out as being kind of good over this two-hour special was a cartoon that was the very first appearance of Boba Fett. And so the voice of Boba Fett would end up being the voice of Dr. Claw and Inspector Gadget. Um, well, that that was actually the original voice. They, they end then switched that again, and they would go uh, with Frank Welker, who you probably have heard of as well. He did the voice of Fred on Scooby-Doo. He was, of course, Megatron, one of the most famous uh, cartoon voice actors of all time. The next character is Penny. Penny is the uh, Inspector Gadget's niece and really the brains behind the whole operation. She's the one who always ends up foiling Dr. Claw. She uses a lot of various technology. Um, she's always, you know, getting, she foils everything. She ends up, you know, she could be kidnapped, but she gets her way out of it. Um, and you just kind of the the backbone of the whole thing, the sort of unsung hero of the cartoon. So the voice of Penny would be done by Dr. Claw's daughter, that first um, actor, Don Franks, and his daughter's name was Cree Summer. Uh, she did the voice of Penny. She was later one of the stars on A Different World, if you remember that show. So Brain is one of the other brains of the operation. He's Penny's dog and... Somehow an adopted brother. I don't know how that worked out. Brain is the only one who really knows that Penny is a smart one and that she's really the savior and always saving the day all the time. And so Brain's job, if you remember from the cartoon, was always to keep Gadget safe during the missions. And that way Penny could spend her time trying to thwart Mad and Dr. Claw. And then if you remember, he would often disguise himself while following Gadget, making Gadget think he was a mad agent, but he was always on the lookout. The next one, and again, depending on if you remember this, was Chief Quimby. And that would looks like it would set the stage for Mayor Quimby from The Simpsons. But Chief Quimby is the boss and chief of police. And he would usually pop up at the beginning of each episode and hand, if you remember, he'd hand Gadget a piece of paper that would describe his mission. Once it was read, the paper would self-destruct, blowing up in Quimby's face. Very Mission Impossible. I'm realizing how much they ripped off now. But I have to think, you know, Mayor Quimby, is, I don't know if there's a connection with um, Chief Quimby from Inspector Gadget, but who knows. So here's some more actually on 
the kind of interesting backstory on Inspector Gadget. If you ever wonder how he became a cyborg, it was never really fully addressed, and you just had to kind of jump on board that this guy's half man, half machine. Kind of, again, another ripoff of uh, the $6 million man, Steve Austin. But they tend, they actually answer this in a Topps trading card from 1991. It turns out that Inspector Gadget started his life as John Brown, an ordinary police detective. One day, Brown would slip on a banana peel and would fall down a flight of stairs, which is typical Gadget. Somehow, he's rescued and sent to a hospital. When he wakes up, um, he finds that he's awoken from an operation that has now (laughs) somehow um, created 13,000 crime-fighting gadgets attached to his body. So Tops wouldn't tell us, you know, any more of the story. They don't say who decided to do this to him. There's no waiver sign before going through a procedure like that. But now you know that John Brown um, suffered a fateful, I guess, accident that um, turned him into Inspector Gadget. So now the iconic TV theme song, again, probably one of the most famous cartoon theme songs of all time. And again, I think had a big impact on the success of a show. If you, I don't know, I think like a a good, obviously like a theme song could draw you in and make you want to watch more. If it's kind of addictive and it's, it's like a jingle, like an earworm, it's stuck in your head and you're thinking about the show and you're more likely to tune in. I don't know how the intentions work, but it, it did create a mood and a tone. So it's instantly recognizable. Um, Turns out you might have recognized it from something else as the theme song is influenced by a pretty famous piece of classical music. So the composer named Shuki Levy wrote the theme song for Inspector Gadget, and he would also create the iconic He-Man theme song and also Power Rangers. So Levy wanted to make something memorable and also somewhat familiar that you feel like you've heard it before and it kind of gets stuck in your head. And you know, you could probably like if you just listen to that uh, from the intro of this show, you probably know the whole thing and could probably sing it along. It actually takes its influence from the Hall of the Mountain King by Edward Grieg, which most people know or have heard of before. And I mean, you can look that up easily <clears throat> um, just to get yourself familiar with kind of the basis of that song. So Levy had been living in L.A., but a French producer from uh, Dick Entertainment who was familiar with Levy's previous music contacted him. Levy had music which had been popular in a lot of countries, including France, and he was asked to come up with a theme song for this new cartoon they were putting together. So on the morning of recording for the theme song, he he, he still didn't have a song um, in mind. Like he didn't know what he was going into. And this is the day of the recording. But this popped in Hall of the Mountain King popped into his head on the way to the studio, um, along with kind of how he would. Uh, kind of convert it and change it into something um, that wasn't, you know, a blatant ripoff. He also took some influence from the Pink Panther theme, theme song. I mean, they'd borrowed so much already. What's a little more. And that way uh, he could kind of combine it into something familiar that you know, you've heard before, but you're not sure where you've heard it from. And again, it's identifiable in the first few seconds. Um, and again, you know, this guy's important in the history of cartoons because that, and along with He-Man, you know, the most iconic theme songs ever. So we have to love him for it. So here is 
the Inspector Gadget fan theory. And I don't know if you're familiar with this, but the idea is that Inspector Gadget is actually the evil Dr. Claw. So let's take a look at this. The, the idea is that the cyborg that is Inspector Gadget is a duplicate of the man that Dr. Claw once was. The man that he used to be had been in a terrible explosion that was so bad all his friends and family thought he was dead. Penny now is involved because due to her smarts with technology, she recreates her uncle as a crime-fighting robot not knowing that her real uncle is still alive. Dr. Claw now wants revenge on the machine that replaced him. So is this why they would never show Dr. Claw's face in the cartoon? Because it was the exact same as Inspector Gadget? Um, I don't know. My theory is that the man that is Dr. Claw is old John Brown from way before and actually may very well indeed be Inspector Gadget. It's maybe a combination of both these theories. So what you're watching in the cartoon is two different people in two different forms. I don't know. That's an obscure one, but interesting. Okay. We'll start wrapping it up here a little bit. So you might wonder um, why I didn't <laughs> touch on the Inspector Gadget movie from 1999 starting Matthew Broderick. Well, it's just, it's not considered canon. It's not considered part of the Inspector Gadget universe. And then, you know, it did have a sequel, but it went straight to video. So that's probably all you need to know about that. But there have been a ton of various Inspector Gadget spinoffs over the years. Here's a few. Inspector Gadget Saves Christmas. Every cartoon seems to have some Christmas form of um, iter iteration of it. That came out in 1992. There's Gadget Boy and Heather. Gadget Boy was a younger version of Inspector Gadget. That came out in 1995. There's Gadget Boy's Adventures in History. Inspector Gadget's Field Trip from 1996. There's Gadget and the Gadget This is some weird French version from 2002. There's Inspector Gadget's Greatest Gadgets, which is a clip show only released on VHS in 1999. You'd have to be a huge fan to have bought that, I think. Inspector Gadget's Last Case came out in 2002, and then, in, which turns out it wasn't his last case, then they'd have Inspector Gadget's Biggest Caper Ever, which was a 3D animated version made in 2005. So you probably have seen now that Netflix released a CGI animated version of Inspector Gadget in 2015, has a whole different theme song, but you can actually hear more of Hall of the Mountain King in that theme. And this whole cartoon was originally put together by Teletoon Canada. So I, I saw, I watched a little of it and like, it's okay. I'm obviously not the demographic they're going for now. And it's interesting who the actual demographic is. I mean, they're, they're going back to old, um, you know, cartoon franchises just to see if they have some more life in them, then that way it's a little, I mean, you don't have to be as creative. There's already backstory and characters and everything like that. It's, it's a quicker production. I guess there is the nostalgia factor that, you know, people who grew up in the 80s would tune in, but I don't know if they're the intentional long-lasting viewer. But, you know, it's interesting to see that this franchise has lasted for more than 30 years and there's still some interest in it. And again, it's a Inspector Gadget's a big part of the cartoon landscape of the 80s and, and remembered fondly. Like, I don't think anyone has bad memories of Inspector Gadget. And amazing, actually, that it was able to stand out in, like, the golden age of cartoons where there's so much competition. To, so to make a dent in that era it is pretty significant, you know, for a cartoon that, you know, it lasted three years, which is pretty good, where a lot of big-time cartoons only lasted a year or two. 
alongside all this other massive competition. So that's pretty much it on Spectre Gadget. Like I said, a little more interesting than you might have thought as far as, you know, with the production and everything and the different fan theories and all that stuff. So hopefully you enjoyed this episode. That's it for me. Thanks for listening. Again, if you haven't already, subscribe wherever you get podcasts. I think I'm officially on every single podcast platform now, which should be make it easy for you to find. But I appreciate you taking the time to listen to this one, and I'll see you later. Bye.